This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to It's Called Soccer, the podcast where we talk about everything in the U.S. soccer sphere. Today is a huge episode. We have so much to get through. The U-20s are currently in the CONCACAF Championship in the quarterfinals that they'll play tomorrow against Costa Rica. This game makes it all on the table for the U.S. U-20 team. If they win this match, they will qualify for the U-20 World Cup. If they get to the final, they will qualify for the next Olympics. So a lot of stuff to talk about there. Then we have transfers that are on. Matt Turner has been confirmed transferred to Arsenal and is currently right around the corner from me in Highbury, London. Uh, Zach Steffen is rumored to be going away from Man City because Man City has just signed a free agent, 29-year-old, to come in and be the second string for Man City. And then Haji Wright is rumored to go to Hull City in the championship. So how do we feel about him possibly joining Josh Sargent and Daryl DK in the English second division? The U.S. women's national team are currently between two matches against Colombia. They won their first match 3-0. They'll play them again tomorrow night. And then they'll get started with their World Cup qualifying campaign on July 4th. Then we have to talk about the huge news coming from Major League Soccer. Gareth Bale is signing for LAFC out of nowhere. Joins another superstar, uh, Chiellini, a center back from Italy. So LAFC is looking stacked. There's a lot of questions to talk about in terms of Gareth Bale and how that will impact his time with Wales going into the World Cup this winter as one of the teams that is in the group with the U.S. men's national team. All of that, we will get through all of that, I promise you. Uh, But first, we have to check in with our co-host, Tom, in Chattanooga, Tennessee. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good, Jake. Uh, I apologize for my voice being a little bit out today. I was, it was a weekend of soccer for me. Uh, The local NISA team had a great game on Saturday, and then we followed up with our WPSL team going on the road. So I was Drumming on Saturday, capoing on Sunday, all fun week with the weekend with the supporters, but it's left me a little hoarse today. <laughs> maybe I'll do some of the, some more of the talking today, but uh, <laughs> support your local clubs, folks, and maybe you will see special people like Tom as the capo or on the drums. <laughs> all right, and uh, before we get started, we just have to say, uh, join the Patreon, support for as little as $2 a month. This is an independent group that is covering U.S. soccer as best we can and bringing you guys hopefully very good conversation, something to look forward to each and every day, each and every week to these new podcasts and to these new videos. So if you could, $2 a month would be amazing. There's other tiers where you get exclusive content for Patreon. So the link is down below. We also just love money. We love it so much. So (laughs) please support us on Patreon. And uh, yeah, so the U-20 tournament, Tom, let's get started talking about that. They will play Costa Rica tomorrow night. They've won their group. They uh, had two wins and then a draw, 2-2 against Canada. They've beaten Nicaragua to get to this point. How important is this next match playing against Costa Rica tomorrow night? What's on the line? This is a very important match. It's 
very hard to under, to overstate how important this match and the next match after that, if they can win this one, are. We've missed three Olympics in a row. We haven't had a chance to go to a Club World Cup since, what, 2019? It is so important that we get a chance to get our youth experience, get a chance to play on the world stage in the Olympics. We're trying to build soccer in America, and part of that is making sure we're playing in these big tournaments. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all of your betting needs and sports info. Find all of the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including this year's Wimbledon Finals, Major League Baseball, the latest fighting news, and even next season's early NFL futures, and of course, the best sport in the world, soccer. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to get the bonus and get into the action. Bet online where the game starts. Yeah, and we've kind of had a dead generation for the last 10-ish years in that age group, and you can kind of see how that landed itself between the Michael Bradley and Josie Altidores of the world to the Christian Pulisics. All of that gap between them, that 10 years in between them, is kind of the the groups that have missed these World Cups. So you can see how important it can be to the development of the teams and the players as they go through and try to make it in the senior world. Now, there's a few players that have stood out and been talked about a lot on Twitter. We'll probably get to talk about uh, Diego Luna, I think, is one of the players that is just someone that people love to love and maybe love to hate. But I feel like there's a lot of love for Diego Luna right now. Uh, is he the player that stood out for you the most, or is there someone else that's been kind of on top of your mind as watching the U-20s? I've been really impressed with Diego Luna for sure, but I think Paxson Aronson is someone we have to talk about. Is have, having had an amazing tournament. He's had some really quality finishes. He's looked great playing that sort of false nine role with he sort of deputizing on a roster that doesn't have a single striker on it. So, yeah, he he looks the part for me in this U-20 tournament. He's He's been one of our best attackers besides Luna. So I think Caden Clark has also been someone who stands out as someone who's above the level of this tournament. He's just lighting up every single team, looks great every time he touches the field. Yeah, and I guess one thing for me is that there is so much rotation in these matches. You can think that there's a best 11, but then Mikey Varis, the coach, trots out you know, a completely different 11 that has seven or eight players that you wouldn't have expected, but it seemed to work. So mm-hmm. is that more to say, like, just because it's a youth tournament, there needs to be more rotation, or is it something more strategic and tactical from the coach? What have you seen maybe from that side? I, I think that I've seen it as being a little bit tactical, but also it might speak to the quality of opponent we've played so far. We've not really played the best CONCACAF has to offer. We got a game against Saints, Kitts, and Nevis. We got Cuba. We got a really poor Canada team that we probably should have done a little bit better against, frankly. And then Nicaragua is also not the best team in CONCACAF. We'll see if we, as we start playing the Giants, as we hit a Costa Rica or a Honduras or a Mexico, are we going to keep rotating seven or eight guys or are we going to sort of start to latch on to a roster? Is there an 11 that Mikey Varas thinks is going to get us to that World Cup, get us to the Olympics, or just we keep seeing bodies because this is a youth tournament, we're just trying to evaluate the players? Yeah, definitely. I've been impressed with Mikey Varis's coaching and kind of the way he's able to put his teams together. You mentioned that we don't really have an out-and-out striker on this mm-hmm. roster and just how many players have been able to step into that role and maybe not get a ton of goals, but at least play a part in a really good front three that is dynamic and can change positions, which I think is what a lot of people are calling for in the national team is 
maybe our best front three is Christian Pulisic, Gio Reyna, and Timothy Way, and none of whom play a straight, straight up number nine. Uh, but we've seen it work in this youth tournament. For me, I, definitely Diego Luna has stood out. Uh, Paxton Aronson, like you said, Jack McGlynn is another. And maybe we can just touch on the, these three players from, uh, I think Quinn Sullivan is the other one uh, from Philadelphia Union. We were somewhat surprised that all three of them were let go by Philadelphia Union for this tournament. But I've been really impressed with all three, but especially Jack McGlynn, for me, is someone that just technically always seems to be one step ahead, isn't afraid to use his right or his left. And I guess speaking about that, Diego Luna takes has taken a corner kick with his left foot and took a penalty kick with his right foot. So I just think that it's really nice to see the technical evolution of players coming through this age group that maybe we're not necessarily in a golden generation. This really is a, a flowing state that we'll see players move into the senior team for years to come. Oh yeah, for sure. We've had a very, very technical squad. It's very different from the teams we've played in the past. These youth tournaments, we've seen some really quality U.S. sides, but it's never been technical players beating people with passing, beating people off the dribble. It's been, you know, big physical players beating people with pace because that's what U.S. soccer developed at the youth level for so long. We're sort of seeing the product of this youth revolution, this technical development of MLS that's sort of playing out in this youth roster, I think for the really the first time. There are still exceptions. We could talk about Cade Cowell and how he really doesn't fit that mold as much as the Philly three do. But yeah, there's so many really strong technical players in this roster. It's really just awesome to watch. Yeah, I mean, in that sense, Diego Luna is essentially the stamp of approval from our development system that you don't need to be the 6'3 physical dominator from, you know, sixth grade that's going to go up and every coach is going to identify as being the best player on the pitch. Whereas now we, we do value technicality. We do value that, that first touch, that vision, the IQ, all of that. And Diego Luna has it in spades, but he, he doesn't necessarily look like a soccer player. And guys, if you haven't been watching this tournament, I would highly recommend you catching a game and watching maybe some Diego Luna highlights. He's just fun to watch. He, he's, he's got that boxy type body, maybe like a Zerdan Shakiri type. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if that will, uh, you know, propagate into someone that is going to be an incredible top level athlete. But at the same time, you know, if Lionel Messi was developing in the U.S. 20 years ago, he probably wouldn't have been picked out to continue just because of his diminutive size. So for me, Diego Luna, like, is almost the visible representation of the U.S. development system getting a little bit better at identifying players that can be really good soccer talents he's also a really good sort of mark of how well we're developing players outside of the mls academy system he didn't develop in the mls academy he played his youth career at el paso and he was so good for el paso that they sold him to rsl so he is sort of that mark for the lower league soccer culture in the u.s starting to develop these academies that are now producing prospects that can play at youth national team levels which is a really big thing for the development of youth soccer yeah, also we've just, seen a few. Yeah. We've yeah, seen we've, a few of those sales mm. from USL. I mean, Jonathan Gomez is obviously the big one, but uh, I think Kobe Foster Hernandez is also another that's been sold recently. So that, it's a really good point for the USL mm. development. Yeah, Kobe Henry just made the move to Europe. We have Diego Luna on this roster. We've got a couple USL products who are really starting to show out, and that's really just a great sign for US soccer. 
Yeah. I also just really hope Lugan makes it because he's the way he carries himself on the field, his official U.S. soccer profile picture. He has the perfect energy to be the greatest CONCACAF away player in U.S. men's national team history. <laughs> and I'm really rooting for him to do that. I hope that when you when anyone that's listening to this on YouTube or watching this on YouTube, I've already made the, the thumbnail. So I know it's going to have Diego Luna and his <laughs> picture in the front. So I hope that made you click on this video. I hope you, you love the conversation as well. I do want to touch on one player that you mentioned before we move on to anything else, because Kate Cowell has been a, a disappointment for me, at least. And, and just watching him play, I would have expected him not just to be one of the better players on the pitch, but to really dominate based on the amount of time that he's had at a senior level club with San Jose and just his physical attributes. And we've heard so much about his, he does have technical ability, but for me in this tournament, he hasn't looked a level above in terms of his first touch. He's again, to me, this is my opinion. He's looked slow to pass to his teammates, whether that's selfishness, or, or something else, just not being able to identify the space and his teammates and where they are. That's that's looked a little bit a level below everyone else on the U.S. team. But Tom, have you been seeing the same thing or is there another player that has not really played up to that level? I know Cal is the one that really stands out, especially of the attacking six in five or six players that we have up at all times in these games. I think I will push back on that a little bit to say he has looked excellent in transition but he's looked really bad when we have the ball and we're building up, we're trying to break down a low block. He just doesn't seem to have the skill set to really pick out the right pass, move the ball. He try, he's trying to sort of face guys up and beat them 1v1 on the dribble when there's six, eight guys in the box, which is really not ever going to work and really not his game either. So I, I don't really understand why we're playing him on the wing when I think his skill set probably fits best as a striker in this tournament. Yeah, and he's, he's been one of those with San Jose where it's like, is he or isn't he a number nine? They've mm -hmm. kind of played him there. They've played him on the wing before. And yeah, for me, I mean, obviously he has that straight line speed, his physicality and his athleticism help him a lot. But at the end of the day, if, we're, if we are trying to break down low blocks, maybe a Paxton Aronson or a Caden Clark is a better player to play in those positions. But We'll see when it comes to Costa Rica. You mentioned that is a little bit better of an opponent than we've been facing throughout the tournament. What are you expecting from that U20 match? I, I, you know, I think it'll be a hard fought one. You know, Costa Rica always has really strong teams. They're always really well defensively organized. So I'm just sort of hoping we can get through it and make our way to the semifinal. However, we have to do it. We're in the knockout stage of this tournament. It's less about looking great. It's more about getting the results we need at this point for me. Yeah. Uh, well said. I think that's a way to wrap up the U20 tournament. I mean, we're, we're going to do a full debrief once the tournament ends and depending how far the U.S. gets. But at this point, this is the most important match that we've had. Obviously, the, the, we got to get out of the group stage. We got to get this far. But it truly is, if we win this match, we qualify for the, U, the next U20 World Cup, and we put ourselves in a place to qualify for the next Olympics, which, as Tom stated, has not been as easy as you would expect for a U.S. soccer team that usually qualifies for most of the tournaments that it's eligible now, in. One, one big question here. How do you feel about having a potential semifinal match against Honduras with an Olympic spot on the line? Yeah, I think the other possible team is Panama as well. So, I mean... 
it really feels like we have the much more difficult road to the final than the Mexican side. The Mexico uh, road to the final, Canada has been ousted by, uh, what was, who did Guatemala. they lose to? Guatemala. Yeah, and then the other squads, I think maybe Cuba. And so it's not it's not looking as easy for the U.S., but at the same time, you, you want to face those teams, right? You want to be um, getting how, to the final by being the best teams. And how many times in a row has Honduras knocked us out of an Olympic spot? Yeah. The, the <laughs> thing is with youth tournaments is sometimes it doesn't matter at all how talented your team is or how many minutes they've had at a senior level. There, there's some basis of luck in regular games. When Man City plays Watford, there is a chance that Watford will win that game. Yeah. It's not 50-50, but <laughs> there is a chance. In mm-hmm. youth tournaments, there, that luck factor seems to be a lot higher, especially with the pitches we've seen in Honduras, which is the where they're playing their matches at. So, yeah, to play the, the home team on a pitch that isn't great and to have a luck factor that's a little bit higher than usual because you're playing in a youth tournament and they're, they're not as consistent. They haven't played for, as a team for a while. I think all of that can play to the U.S.'s demise, but I'm hoping from what we've seen, it's built some confidence. We have kind of a best 11 or maybe best 15 that we can put on the pitch and qualify for these tournaments because it is really, really important for our development as a team, as a national team. It goes to the senior levels as well how how much time these players get not just with the US team but with each other and the the future that they'll have with the US men's national team so yes be on the lookout for that you can watch those games i believe on TUDN and YouTube they've been shown as well so yeah if if and if you want to join the discord shout out to the des- discord you can chat about the game while it's happening with 100 other people in the it's called soccer discord the link to that is below in the description. Are you ready to talk some transfers, Tom? Oh, let's do it. Cool. All right, let's talk about the first one that is confirmed already. Matt Turner is going to Arsenal. He's going to replace Bird Leno for the second place behind um, Aaron Ramsdale. Now, Aaron Ramsdale had a, from what most people perceived as a very good season last season, but in recent England matches, he was the goalkeeper as Hungary defeated England 4-0. So it's it's looking good that Matt Turner will be the second in in the depth chart for Arsenal. But is this a good move? Because we have we have three keepers now in Europe that will be in the Premier League, but won't necessarily be seeing the field as much. What do you think about that, Tom? It's frustrating from a national team perspective because we would like to see our keepers getting minutes. Sean Johnson didn't look great this week. I wouldn't like him to be the one getting the most minutes come World Cup time. So I really wish that we didn't have this problem. But Matt Turner is such an amazing story. And I just can't help but be so ecstatic for him. This guy didn't even start playing soccer until 16 years old. He was an undrafted player out of college. And all of a sudden he's being signed by one of the biggest teams in the world because of just how good he's been in MLS for the national team over the last year. And it's awesome to see that sort of play out for him because how many times you get a chance to make a transfer to Arsenal as an undrafted college player in the MLS. So 
awesome for him. I'm really excited from that perspective. But yeah, it's it's going to be really nerve-wracking come World Cup time where we have backup goalkeepers not getting minutes and we're sort of hoping that they can find form in World Cup play is the only time they will have to find match <laughs> fitness and match form, which is not what you want. Yeah. And one one more thing to say about Matt Turner's transfer to Arsenal is that he is a childhood fan of Arsenal. So his announcement video had him as a younger kid and as a teen in Arsenal kits and Arsenal Arsenal shirts. So it's it is a really amazing story and it's awesome to see him finally get to that club that he's been uh, focused on and supporting for most of his life. And he'll he'll be right down the road for me. Arsenal is the closest club and ground to me, but I'm not an Arsenal fan. I, I will be able to get to the grounds and, and hopefully see him play in a match this season. We'll see what happens with their goalkeeper situation, though. You did mention another Zach Steffen. Uh, Manchester City has now signed another goalkeeper as free agent, 29-year-old coming from a different league, but it seems like he will be the second uh, in the depth chart for Man City. So it might knock Zach Steffen down a peg and, and get him farther away from the pitch. He might not play in cup matches. He might not play uh, in some of the, the lesser valuable games for Man City. So there are some rumors that Zach Steffen could potentially go to Ajax or could potentially go to Rangers in the Scottish Premiership. We've seen a few Americans go to the Scottish League in the last year or so. Um, obviously, it didn't work out for some. James Sands, we'll see how it works out for him this season. But what, what would you prefer Zach Steffen in terms of his options going out on loan? Honestly, I think minutes matter more than league at this point with being so close to the World Cup. We're not looking for him to develop. We're not looking for him to, you know, really improve that much. We're just sort of looking for him to be match fit and ready to go come World Cup time. Obviously, it'd be nice if, you know, he keeps getting better as a player, but I just want to see him facing shots regularly. I don't really want to see him go to a team that's going to be top of the league and not facing a lot of shots, but an Ajax or a Rangers might not be the worst fit in the world. He'll still be asked to play with his feet. He'll still be asked to build out of the back. So, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, Ajax would be a pretty high calling, honestly, and Onana there has been a really good keeper for a really long time for Ajax, but they are losing their coach. Uh, Eric Ten Hag is going to Manchester United, so it might be a different look next season. Rangers could be interesting, but again, I'd almost rather him be on a bad team just to face Same. as many shots as possible. And for me, like Zach Steffen could be the better could be the number one for the U.S. if he was getting game time. But mm -hmm. as it stands right now, Matt Turner, if everyone is kind of cold and isn't playing, Matt Turner is the one that I would trust the most between the six for the U.S. So, yeah, for me, like Zach Steffen, I think preferences first get somewhere where he can get playing time, where he will be the undisputed number one. Second is don't don't necessarily go to a farmer's league and go to the club that has the most money because you, you aren't going to be facing as many shots. You'll be, you know, dictating a defense that is going to be probably playing a possession based style. Um, won't necessarily have to do a lot of commanding from his box in that sense and, and won't necessarily play. I know the U S is trying to institute a possession based style for the national team, but when we play England, and to a lesser extent, when we play Wales and Iran, it's not going to be 
easy to play a possession-based style with all the pressure that comes with the World Cup and all of that. So, yeah, that, that's all to say. I think Zach Steffen, priority number one needs to be to go to a club where he's going to get playing time because otherwise he's, get, he's just going to continue to drop down the depth chart for me. Ethan Horvath uh, looks as well like he's not going to get much playing time as they have uh, just brought in another keeper as well. So it looks like Nottingham Forest isn't going to trust Ethan Horvath with the number one keeper position. So yeah, for me, like unless something happens with uh, Matt Turner and being able to get in front of Aaron Ramsdale, which I don't see happening with um, without an injury, it's basically like Matt Turner is going to be second in the depth chart, and then Zach Steffen and Ethan Horvath are going to be third unless either of them move. And then we're staring in the face of Sean Johnson, who played well for the national team, didn't have a great uh, game last night for NYCFC facing the Philadelphia Union. So, yeah, for me, just please, somebody, go to a team <laughs> that they will get playing time. Yeah. Sean Johnson's attempted a save on the first goal was just – that was a shocker. Um, didn't react to the ball until it was like in the back of the net for at least a second before falling over. It was uh, not, not great to see. So I'm really hoping for someone to get some minutes and displace him as the person who is, you know, in form at world cup. Yeah. And maybe let's talk about in form because we need a number nine that is in form for the world cup. And Haji Wright is rumored to be going to whole city, which currently sits in the English championship now, there are two other strikers that we need to name in the English Championship for the U.S. national team, which are Josh Sargent. He'll be dropping down with Norwich. And Daryl DK is still with West Bromwich Albion. Uh, he's looking to get healthy. Seen a few training videos from preseason. Looking good, looking like he's back, uh, getting his fitness back and getting his, his touches back on the ball. Now, Haji Wright. He was currently, or he was on loan to Antalya Spor in Turkey from the Danish league. He needs, he's not going to be getting the, the number nine position for the U S national team. If he continues in the Danish league. So Tom, I, I know you might not like this uh, move so much, but why don't you like Haji Wright to whole city? Ooh, I pulled some stats on whole cities attacking. Just, just let's go through them. They underperformed their XG by nine goals last season. They were 24th in the Premier League in shots on target per match, 22nd in big chances created, 22nd in big chances missed, and 23rd in goals scored per match. And they there were only 24 teams in the yeah, championship. They were with at the very <laughs> bottom of the Premier League in attacking play. They do not create many chances. They do not score many goals. They are not a team that's going to get him in form for the World Cup. This feels like a bad move going to a relegation team in the championship. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> is there any other option? Like teams that don't have good offense need to buy good attackers to start <laughs> boosting their numbers. Right. Like, is there something yeah. else to be said about Haji, right? Maybe <laughs> staking his claim. I maybe, but you know, we've seen this work so well for so many other U S strikers going to relegation teams in different leagues. So yeah, I say very sarcastically. I mean, this even reeks as uh, Josie Altador to Hull City, who literally did move to Hull City and then <laughs> basically bombed out from there uh, after his Sunderland yeah. move. So, yeah, or or was Hull City first before Sunderland? 
I, I forget. I can't even remember. I tried to remove that from my brain and forget <laughs> it ever happened. Um, but yeah, Hull City doesn't necessarily have a great reputation or history with U.S. strikers. Yeah. No, if you could get a move to Turkey, another club in Turkey, that would be a much better spot for me. The champions, Travis Bonzor, were really interested in him at some point. I know Galatasaray has floated interest in him. I would much rather see him at a top club in Turkey than I would being anywhere near Hull City, especially. But the championship in general, there are very few teams I'd be really happy with him at. Yeah. I mean, this one is going to be controversial if it happens. So, guys, if you are watching and you have an opinion on any of these transfers, please let us now know down below. As they happen throughout the summer, the transfer window is open until the end of July. So there are a few U.S. men's national team players that will likely be moving to a new team with only a few months to go before the World Cup. So obviously we'll be covering that here on It's Called Soccer. That's another plug to make sure to subscribe and put the alert bell on so that you know anytime a new video is released, you get that alert and you're able to see what transfers are happening as they happen. And uh, we tell you how you could feel, not how you should feel about those. All right, let's talk about the U.S. Women's National Team for a bit because, uh, and guys, please bear with us on this. We don't cover the U.S. Women's National Team enough. And I personally... Tom, I'll let you speak for yourself, but I'm trying to learn more about them uh, as we speak. I used to be really into them maybe five to eight years ago, but the team has really turned over a lot. They have a new coach. They have a lot of young players. So I'm going to do my best to talk about them right now, but it's not going to be uh, the best knowledge base to work off of. And I promise you in the future, as they continue to play, they have World Cup qualifying starting this summer or the Women's World Cup next summer. So I promise you it will continue to get better, but maybe if you are learning, then you can learn with me. Tom, what's what's your knowledge level right now of the U.S. women's team? I have watched them in every major tournament they've played. I you know talk with AO people when I'm talking with American Outlaws friends about them, but yeah, I'm sort of in the same boat as you where I'm still trying to learn a lot about the new players and still trying to learn more about the NWSL, so... Yeah, I'm sort of learning along with you, Jake, and bear with us as we sort of try and up this coverage, because I think it really is important that we give coverage to the U.S. women's national team. It's not done enough in U.S. soccer circles, and I think it's they're a fantastic team. They're one of the best in the world, and they deserve to have the coverage that goes along with that. Yeah, well, let's talk about that moniker as the best in the world, because we've seen a few of the national teams recently in the last few years really catch up to the U.S. women's national team. It's not necessarily a monopoly on trophies anymore for the women's team, which in a sense makes for more exciting games and more exciting tournaments where we're not just blowing through everybody and winning finals 5-0. Um, but at the same time, it might be a kick in the butt that we need because uh, we, we have to keep playing teams at home because of contractual obligations for, with U.S. soccer. And as European teams, and I'm not just talking about national teams, I'm talking about club teams in Europe as well, they have are starting to have really good foundations for women's academies, women women's clubs. I can speak a little bit more knowledgeably about women's uh, soccer, club soccer in Europe, as I do follow that. And honestly, it is on TV a lot. It is marketed a lot in Europe. In London, I can watch any women's Champions League game. I can watch the women's Premier League. All of that level is very high. I can see 
the level of what I used to see with the U.S. women's national team in those club matches. And just for, you know, I'll bring this back to the U.S. women's national team, I promise. The Spanish women's national team just beat Australia 7-0. Australia is one of the better women's teams in the world. The Spanish national team is made up of players, a lot of whom play for Barcelona. And this Barcelona women's team did not lose a match. They won every single one of their matches in their club season. They were essentially the most dominant team in all of Europe, men's or women's, last season. So it's scaring me a little bit that the U.S. women's national team have to play Colombia as good as they can be twice in the international window to get practice. They did beat Colombia 3-0 in their first match. They'll play them again again tomorrow night. Um, but Tom, how do you feel about the preparation for World Cup qualifying? And maybe just largely, what does that mean for the U.S. women's national team going forward? Is the rest of the world catching up almost too quickly? And are they going to surpass us soon? Oh, it's it's very obvious that the rest of the world's catching up. Women's soccer has seen huge injections of financial resources and academy resources in recent years. And yeah, that's clearly paying off, especially in Europe. We saw the last World Cup that seven of the eight quarterfinal teams were European teams and they were all really high quality teams. So it's definitely something to watch for going forward. The U.S. is going to have to really raise their level to keep up with this, the European sides, especially going forward. I do think that the new CBA will really help with that. I think that the new CBA will allow for more injection of youth talent into that U.S. women's national team. I think it will allow for more players to go and test themselves in Europe against these really high-quality opponents. We already see players like Katarina Macario playing in Women's Champion League finals, which is awesome to see and will really help us remain competitive. The friendly situation can't be helped, really, though, because European teams are getting less and less willing to play teams outside of Europe, men's and women's national teams alike. So how do you play against how do you how do you compete when you can't play these teams and test yourself against them in friendly environments it's kind of a really frustrating thing that is europe is not sharing that ability to compete with the rest of the world on that level and so yeah that's my big frustration with it right now yeah it's almost like we're isolating ourselves because of some business commitments whereas we probably should be traveling to europe and playing some of these teams And we've actually seen with the U.S. national team, they'll be playing in Europe in September friendlies, although not against European opponents. I think they'll be playing uh, Japan and Saudi Arabia in Germany and Spain. So that to me was more like the U.S. men's team playing in September was more about travel for our European-based players. But for the women's team, I feel like it's more it it needs to be more about competitiveness and kind of making sure that we don't fall so far behind by the time the world cup does come we we don't get caught with our i guess trousers down is i don't know if that's an appropriate term for yeah i mean we we saw at the olympics that the u.s just didn't really look strong in some of these matches they didn't play very well against sweden or canada there were there are clearly some kinks to work through in these rosters and these we're gonna have to really really play our best if we want to win these tournaments Yeah, absolutely. And then we do start World Cup qualifying for the Women's World Cup on July 4th in a group with Mexico, Jamaica, and Haiti. So anything to say there? I know I'll be watching. And if we can do, I I would love to do some live streams for these matches. 
Um, this game against Columbia in the next few days is a little too late for me, but I promise you guys, if you do want to see more U.S. Women's National Team content, it will be coming, and you guys will be learning along with us, or you'll be teaching us something. I'm sure someone has commented already about how we were wrong about something or something we need to learn. Um, so if there is something that we should learn or something that we should read, good articles, good videos, make sure to put that down below in the comments as well, and you will be sure that Tom and I have read or watched it. Um, yeah, talk about maybe World Cup qualifying real quick with our group. Yeah, I mean, it's, Mexico is definitely a team that is really improving a lot, and they have been for the last couple of years. Uh, Liga MX Femenil is really coming up. They're getting a lot of injection of funds. It's becoming more popular in Mexico. So I think this Mexico team will be a really good opponent for us. But I do think that the U.S. will be the favorite team to come out of that group at first place and, you know, really make a run to the final, try and make their way back to the um, World Cup, I guess. Yeah, definitely. All right, guys, that's it for the women's national team. Again, make sure to let us know anything we need to know about that in the comments below. Or if you're in the Discord, just shoot us a chat. Um, all right, let's talk about Major League Soccer. Our domestic league has received another superstar. Um, he's not super old. I think he's 32, but Gareth Bale is moving to Los Angeles to join LAFC with Carlos Vela and Chiellini as well. He's also coming not on a DP contract, on a TAM contract. So LAFC somehow still has a DP spot available. Um, Tom, what does Gareth Bale coming to MLS mean to the league? It's a huge get for the league. It's a, a, a player who is just on a team who won the New York Champions League coming over and he's going to play in MLS. That's a huge deal. Um, Bale is sort of nearing the end of his career, but he's still a fantastic player to watch. He's still going to be head and shoulders above almost all of the talent in the league and definitely is going to be the best player in the league. So, yeah, that's a really exciting get for MLS. It should be drive interest in soccer in L.A. I don't although I don't think that you can get more soccer crazy of a city than L.A. these days. So it'll be really exciting to watch. I do want to give shout outs to ML, to LAFC's owners for just doing some insane, insanely good business this year. Chiellini on a, D, on a, T, a TAM deal, uh, Bale on a TAM deal, still have a DP spot open, re-signed Vela. Mbappe was at their game yesterday, and there were jokes that he was going to come on a young DP contract. <laughs> it, it's he, crazy what they've done. He's just re-signed with PSG, so I don't think that's happening anytime soon. But yes, it, crazy. Uh, I don't know if crazier things have happened, but crazy things have happened. And maybe we'll see Kylian Mbappe. I mean, if Gareth Bale is coming to MLS, maybe in a few years when uh, Kylian Mbappe is bored with his Farmers League in <laughs> France, he'll he'll join LAFC as well. Uh, you mentioned the owners being able to lock down these deals and splash some cash. I've been noticing a lot because of this deal, a lot of LA Galaxy fans getting more and more fed up with their front office and their team. How far have LA Galaxy fallen since the days of David Beckham, and even more recently, the days of Zlatan Ibrahimovic. LA Galaxy has learned the hard way that you cannot rely on aging talent coming from Europe to dominate the league. You can't just splash cash on one DP signing and go out and win five championships. Basically, LAFC is playing the Galaxy's game better than them while also having a better academy that is producing more youth talent than them. So they're sort of beating them at the new MLS style while also doing the old MLS style better than the Galaxy, which is 
kind of embarrassing for the Galaxy right now that LAFC is doing both of them better now. Yeah, and I mean, people listening to this might be like, oh, Gareth Bale, he's he doesn't care about soccer. He's not going to do anything for this team. Well, who cares? Because LAFC is still four points clear of the Supporter Shield race as we speak. So it's not like they absolutely need him, but he will he will inevitably make this the best front three in Major League Soccer. Oh, yeah. I mean, also, I could play the number nine between Carlos Vela <laughs> and Gareth Bale in MLS and probably bag a few goals. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I, you could stick anyone who is reasonably athletic out there and they would score some goals in that front three. Um, I will push back on the idea that Bale doesn't care because this is a World Cup year and he clearly cares about Welsh football and playing for Wales at a World Cup more than anything. You, He's going to be playing with the most intensity he's been playing with for the last four years because – he wants to be informed for a World Cup. This is his last chance to do that. That's why he's coming to this league. Is it's a chance for him to get minutes and play rejected Cardiff so he could come to MLS and get minutes and play competitive soccer leading up to the World Cup. So I, I'm thinking that this is going to be a move where he really puts as much in as he can, at least through the end of this MLS season. Now, Tom, pretend for a moment that you are a U.S. men's national team fan. So just pretend. I know it's difficult. <laughs> and and put yourself in that perspective of Wales is our first opponent in the World Cup group. Gareth Bale is their captain and their most important player. You've just mentioned how much he cares about playing for Wales and how much he will be want, wanting to and looking forward to uh, beating the U.S. and getting Wales three points in that World Cup group. Um what would be the best thing that could happen for the U.S. national team with Gareth Bale coming to Major League Soccer? For me, the best thing that could happen for the U.S. Two things are the best thing that could happen. One is that Kellen Acosta produces a very nice 10-page detailed scouting report with references <laughs> and, you know, a cover page sent to Greg Berhalter's office, hand-delivered. Be awesome. Two is that we send LAFC out of the playoffs in the first round in early October, instead of letting them get a full head of steam and getting all the way to the final. Now I could make the counter argument that <laughs> him playing for what, I mean, from here on out, that would be five straight months of 1.5 games a week, all the way into the playoffs. Is that a better situation for the U S it, it's a debate. It, do you want him playing every single game leading up into the MLS Cup final, which is only a few weeks before the World Cup, or do you want him to sit and lose match fitness between October 15th or so and November 22nd when the World Cup starts? I mean, when you put it like that, I think given if, if it was Cristiano Ronaldo, I don't think it would matter because he would be keeping himself <laughs> in shape. He He would... If he was knocked out in the first round or didn't make the playoffs, he'd fly the next day or right after the match to a training facility to get ready and be training hours a day. Gareth Bale, I know he cares about Wales. I know it's a joke and you know low-hanging fruit to joke about golf, but if Gareth Bale does have a month or two before having to train with Wales, you know that he's not going to be taking as much care as someone with the the biggest and best mentality in sport. So I'm not saying he's going to come 20 pounds overweight or anything. I'm just saying he doesn't necessarily, he's not known for having the elite mentality that it takes to be at the very top of your game at every single moment 
no matter if you're playing club soccer or not. So, yeah, I mean, your argument makes sense to me. I'm going to say I prefer for them to not even make the playoffs, and that means Gareth Bale will sit for an even longer amount of time. But it is cool. I... It is really <laughs> cool, and it came out of nowhere, which uh, mm. credit to Tom Bogert for for uh, getting that news for us. But what a move. What a what a transfer. It's a splash move. MLS does pull these off occasionally. And, you know, Toronto FC just pulled one off as well. I think it's what, Insigne is yeah. coming. He's just arrived. There's some really quality players that MLS is splashing into the league right now. And that can only mean good things going forward for at least that league in America. Lorenzo Insigne is in his prime. He is a Serie A winner. He is a essential part of the Italian national team who unfortunately won't be playing in another <laughs> World Cup. But that's another story. But man, Lorenzo Insigne is another play. I mean, I guess it's kind of lost its chime because we've known about it for so long, but he has just arrived. So to be able to watch these players in our domestic league, I think a lot of people also forget like Thierry Henry played for the New York Red Bulls for four years. I got to watch Thierry Henry play live many, many times. Some of my fondest memories with my wife and girlfriend was at Red Bull Arena watching Thierry Henry. So I'm just happy for the fans that get to watch these players. I'm happy for the league that continues to capture these players at a younger and younger age and what that means for U.S. soccer. Players that have people to look up to, to the domestic league that will hopefully continue growing, especially with the Apple partnership that's just been announced. So overall, I mean, are you feeling as good as I am about Major League Soccer going forward? I I am. I, I wish that this would trickle down to the rest of domestic soccer in America, but that's just because I'm a very much a domestic lower league soccer zealot who loves the lower leagues <laughs> almost more than I love it more than I love MLS for sure. So yeah. I'm wearing a New Mexico United jersey today. I went to a WPSL and an Anisa match this weekend. So I wish that this would have trickle down benefits. I don't see it having those benefits, but it is a very exciting time for MLS. I mean, let's just quickly touch on that lower league for a second. Sac Republic, Sacramento Republic FC is in the semifinals of the US Open Cup with three other MLS teams. So is is that not enough? Do you not want all the power, Tom, of the lower leagues? I want to see more lower leagues getting those matches and winning them. I, I, I want to see a lower league team playing in the CONCACAF Champions League one of these days. That would be my dream come true. That, that would absolutely be amazing to see. And uh, it has to be said, Louisville City also made uh, one of the final matches. Omaha FC as well, uh, the third division unfortunately lost to Sporting KC in uh, the quarterfinal round. But uh, to me, okay, I want to say one thing about Omaha FC. A third division team got to the quarterfinal of the domestic uh, trophy, the domestic tournament, and got $25,000 as their reward money. That seems a little low to me. I mean, especially when you know the profit. Yeah. When you know the budgets of these clubs, and I do know the budgets of a third division club fairly well. $25,000 is not enough to even put them in the black for the year. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like if, if you get to that point, you, you're, you should be breaking even no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. You should be getting a huge pot from USSF. And we know USSF has the money to do that. And they're not spending that. They pay the T the amateur team that gets the farthest to $50,000 check. That's yeah. That seems really low to me too. There was an amateur team that upset professional squads in this tournament. I think two of them had professional upsets in this tournament. That's 
amazing. Why is $50,000 the reward? Why is the Open Cup not paying out more money? I don't have those answers for you. I'm sorry. <laughs> Do you have the answers? No. <laughs> no? Okay. No answers. Well, <laughs> that, that is how we'll finish up our, our podcast today. We have no answers to anything. We're, we're just trying to do our best to cover U.S. soccer. Uh, Tom, what is your last word, sir? Ooh, my last word. Well, we've talked a lot about lower league soccer in the last couple of minutes, and I've mentioned it at the beginning. I'm just going to reiterate that, you know, getting a chance to support lower league soccer has been one of the most meaningful experiences of my life the last 10 years, and I can't recommend enough. Finding whoever your local club is, whether that's NPSL, NISA, USL League 2 or League 1, USL Championship, go to a game, make some friends, Support your local team because I can't stress enough how amazing the community you will build is. I also want to make a plug for the Patreon. Um, the supporters lounge on the Discord channel has been awesome in helping me get our roster build, our uh, roster polls up and running and analyzing the results. So if you want to chat with me about any of the really data and analytic type stuff that we talk about on this podcast a little bit in more detail, ask me some more questions, join the Patreon and become part of that supporters lounge and, you know, join our conversations about these really awesome projects that we've got going on yeah and guys if you don't think a local division side is near you there is there absolutely is there are so many lower leagues in the u.s that there is someone you can support within a short driving distance and like tom said if you want direct access to us if you want exclusives uh videos that drop a day early all of that can be found on the patreon and you're supporting us there's also, it's called Soccer Merch, available now. Uh, the link is in the description as well. Um, so tons of ways to support. And we will see you next time on It's Called Soccer Podcast. We have a lot of really exciting videos coming up. One on expected goals. Tom is, I mean, I don't want to speak for you, but you're a pretty smart guy, uh, especially <laughs> when it comes to math and statistics. Uh, so we will be taking on the... Um, what would you call it? it? An inflamed discussion about expected goals or? Uh, yeah, inflamed is pretty good. I would say um, controversial if we decide to get into the finishing side of things is another right. good word. We'll, we'll be taking on the controversial discussions that surround expected goals and what it actually means. So again, subscribe to the channel, put the alert bells on like the video so more people can find it. And if you are listening to us wherever you find your podcasts, uh, it would do us a huge help, huge help if you could rate us five stars and leave a review. That's all for this week. Thank you guys so much. We'll see you next time on It's Called Soccer. Peace. See you guys. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.